this is a good acronym for no matter what you're struggling with. And I call it LIE, L-I-E, look, intercept, explore. So it's look at the story you're telling yourself and identify its false nature, right? To intercept that thought with a vision of your future self, the one God created you to be. And again, see, this works for everything. (laughs) And explore alternative activities and thoughts until the craving goes away. Thank you for stopping by my podcast, Finding God in Our Pain. Welcome. Hi, I'm your host, Sherry Pilkington. In this podcast, you'll hear firsthand stories of how the God of the Holy Bible meets real people in their real pain. We look at the good God we profess through the lens of pain and suffering. I'm processing the most painful season of my life after unexpectedly losing Larry, my husband of 32 years. In my journey, I've discovered that there are many types of deaths. Maybe you've asked God, how could you let this happen? Why me? Where are you, God? Do you even care? What am I supposed to do with my life now? Here at Finding God in Our Pain, we don't shy away from the tough questions. I ask them to my guests. I share what I've experienced. We give real examples of how God shows up in the darkest, most painful situations in life. May the stories that you hear and the advice you receive encourage you to engage the heart of God about your painful places or memories or experiences or even your unmet expectations. Lean in close to God's heart because he speaks beautiful things in the dark. My guest today is Roseanne Forte. She is an alcohol-free coach, a positive intelligence coach, and an international best-selling author of the award-winning daily devotional called The Plans He Has for Me. Today's episode is discovering more about her 12-week devotional and the challenge to purposely consider the possibility of a transformed life. Roseanne was a successful executive, a ministry leader in the church, Bible teacher, mom, wife, and more. But when her marriage fell apart, she found herself in a place of desiring to be free from the psychological slavery of her alcohol habit. One of the great things I feel that Roseanne is doing in the program that she's created by marrying the secular addiction program she used to find freedom with the true lasting hope and change that the God of the Holy Bible offers is to shift our mindset about labels such as alcoholic, recovery, and sober. In my personal opinion, she's taking a very practical approach about these three words, moving from a secular viewpoint to the transformed reality that God provides us. And that made sense to me because of the complete work of Christ on the cross and the fact that by his stripes we're healed, not partially healed, not kind of healed, but healed. And I agree that healing takes place in layers, but that does not negate the full redemptive restoration accomplished on the cross. And don't get me wrong, I think labels are important when it comes to identifying a problem because it establishes a starting point to work from. And once a problem is identified, it helps with taking responsibility for the changes that you need to initiate. And what does that do? It moves you from the victim label to victor, a much better adjective. Do relapses happen? Sure. Roseanne and I even talk about the aspect of breaking any type of addiction and relapses. Uh, Relapse is part of being healed in layers. If you struggle with or have struggled with addiction, it will always be a part of your testimony with regard to the journey you went through. But that doesn't mean that you're tied to that label or this world's value system. If there's one thing among many that a personal relationship with Christ gives you, it's living above the chaos and limited understanding of this world. And what I'm getting at is that At some point, there comes a time when you leave behind the words alcoholic, recovery, sober. Roseanne talks about this more in detail, but but you're reigning in life, free of addiction, and in this case, alcohol. The recovery process is complete, and you're living a life that no longer resembles addiction. With every layer of healing, we step into the progressive story of renewal and redemption that Christ is writing over our life. He's writing a much bigger love story with us as the unique person he created us to be. 
if you feel like something in your life is out of sync or maybe something has a bigger hold on you than you feel comfortable with, it's nagging you, or maybe you are clear with the fact that you struggle with a type of addiction, Roseanne's personal transformation will give your heart encouragement to know that freedom is possible. If you'd like to consider the possibility of a transformed life, check out Roseanne's 12-week program, The Plans He Has for Me. The link is in the show notes. Also included in the show notes are links to Roseanne's free resources, which I believe are on her website. And the website is theplanshehasforme.com. Listen in for a dose of encouragement from Roseanne Forte. Roseanne, it is so nice to have you on the show today. Thank you for being here to share your message of encouragement for those who desire to be alcohol free. But the fear is just too overwhelming to think about. So welcome. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And you are so right that that the creation of this, what I like to call neurological habit, does create a fear of what I can't live without it. And your body goes into a state of panic. And I just want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to to talk about taking a challenge and seeing something different. The best part of this podcast in general for me is hearing stories that reveal the path to overcoming the victim label. And I love to share these stories because it allows me to view a portion of the redemption that God has, say, for you through your story. We Mm -hmm. both know that he wastes nothing. And the fact that Mm -hmm. you're sitting here today to encourage someone else who's struggling with alcohol is a testimony to giving purpose to your pain. So our conversation today is going to revolve around your 12-week devotional titled, The Plans He Has for Me. You were a successful executive, ministry leader in the church, Bible teacher, speaker, a mom of four in a difficult marriage. And so at some point, the social use of alcohol began to be a form of medication or coping, which I think is very common. Is 12 weeks long enough to turn someone's life around in a significant way? Yeah, and that's this whole devotional is modeled after my own story. I, as you mentioned, I was a leader in the church. I loved Jesus, yet I still fell for the lies of the world. I I lived half one foot in and one foot out, and I got caught. And I was so ashamed of it. I didn't want to be labeled an alcoholic. I didn't share it with my pastor. I didn't share it with my counselor because I was in fear of somebody saying, well, you're an alcoholic. You need to go into a 12-step program. I'm like, no, I already have my higher power. I don't need that kind of label. I didn't think it was biblical. And so I ended up going to a secular program that challenged me to put it aside for 90 days. And I remember at the time, and this is why I like talking to people about it, there was no way I thought I could do it forever. I just needed to know what it would feel like to do it for that 90 days. And and what I found is I was so transformed that I said, why would I ever want to go back? My, I had lost weight. I had started a walking program. My resting heart rate went down. My blood pressure went from doctors talking about medication to, I don't know, I think I have a picture 117 over 64. I had more confidence. I had more joy and peace. I was just measuring what what alcohol had stole um, from me. And so is 12 weeks enough? Yeah, especially when God's involved. I ended up Working for the program that I went through, again, it was a secular program, but what I saw is after that time without God, people just drink again, like, oh my gosh, I feel so good. Okay, here's a drink. And and then they'd get back into that habit, all their old habits. Scientific research, by the way, according to the National Institutes of Health, you are 84% more likely to succeed when God is part of the path. And and this particular path is very, very different from what's out there. It's all based on hope. Like, what's possible? 
if I sleep better? What's possible if I am more connected to people and I have more time for my kids or my hobbies or this? What's possible if my health gets better? And it's documenting all the benefits and just being aware. I don't, you've heard that term cognitive dissonance? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so believing two competing thoughts about the same thing. And I can't think of anything (laughs) more applicable than when you use an addictive substance, because I I was a smoker, so I understand that addiction and I understand alcohol. And it's like you love it. You have this love romantic relationship with it, but it's so toxic. And you're like, "I, I love it. I need it. I can't live without it this is killing me. I got to quit, which is true. (laughs) So 12 weeks give you enough time to document, which is true and then choose. And so the program you've developed was you took what you had learned through the secular and then you blended God, folded him into this process of discovery. There was a lot of, as I had gone through it, I just recognized they were teaching a lot of God's principles without God. So my my pastor said, yeah, the world is teaching the kingdom without the king. Gratitude or meditation or I literally learned how to process forgiveness inside that program. Like I knew intellectually I was forgiven, but processing it and feeling it and accepting it and being able to stop beating yourself up over it, that I learned outside the church. <laughs> like, how's that possible? So the devotional is actually a marriage because what they're doing in the secular world is using the science of the brain, the science of neurological habits. And it just so happens recent science, we'll call it in the last 50 years, you can change neurological patterns in your brain. Oh, isn't that funny? God did tell us we could renew our minds, right? (laughs) So I say that a lot in the devotional. God said it first. Here's the science, but God said it first. Are there differing degrees of alcoholism? How does someone know that they need to take a look at this a little more deeper, a little more serious? I use the term that's consistent now with the National Institutes of Health. It's, that's called alcohol use disorder. They've gotten rid of terms like alcoholic and stuff. They still do use alcoholism. I choose not to. I say you're using an addictive substance and we need to get away from it. But I really try and avoid all the words that cause a, a stigma but your question was how do you, and and that I think is one of the reasons that they came up with this alcohol use disorder because it can come in such a long spectrum and it can take ten years for it to grow to like oh I'm having a few too many glasses of wine or beers and I really shouldn't be drinking this much to. There's a suit. I guess the other end of the spectrum is re- I need rehab. I'm shaking. That actually is where I will use the term alcoholic or alcoholism when you need medical intervention. Um, but I'm trying to help people. I've, I definitely have helped people with this program who have come out of rehab. But if you need medical intervention, this this book is not not the solution. You need the medical intervention plus this process. Alcoholism is a progressive addiction. Alcohol use disorder is, yeah. (laughs) All right. I've got to get the hang of that because my go-to is uh, alcoholism, but alcohol use disorder. Use disorder is a progressive addiction then. Yeah, it is. And and it doesn't take much for people to understand if they're listening and they have a family member, a friend, or if they're stuck themselves, it doesn't take much to explain this to somebody because they see it. They see they used to drink this much, they're drinking this much, right? The tolerance grows. I can't even believe how much alcohol I could put in my body without even feeling it. And this is because God made your body so wonderfully. You start putting toxins in, 
to your body and your body panics and it goes, wait, 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 what do I do? What do I do? Oh, I must need that level of toxin to survive. So it adjusts and then you're doing it to create an effect. So you need more and your body keeps adjusting to this newest level and needing more. And that's how tolerance is created. The body does a good job of trying to adjust to the things that we do to it, but maybe to our detriment. Absolutely. Sometimes I I talk about neurological patterns and habits, and let's just talk about a habit of meditating on God's word. It, It becomes solidified, right? Or you can do a habit of checking your phone every five minutes, right? Your subconscious mind is a tape recorder. It just tries to remember and make your life easier for whatever habit you pick. So choose wisely. (laughs) I wish I had known this when I was younger. Choose wisely the things you want to create habits in. Words to live by for sure. A minute ago, you mentioned about your program and you were saying your addictive substance. Can someone else who is struggling with an addiction in general use your 12-week program to break free? Yeah, thanks for asking that. I wrote it Understanding the science of neurological habits. My specialty is alcohol. I wasn't addicted to drugs. However, oh my gosh, some of my best testimonials have come from people who have used it with various drugs, whether they're prescription medications or illegal drugs. It's the same process. I developed 12 core concepts around because you do the devotional and you get it, but then people go, well, what, what's next? And so I try to pull out the most important things that help people stay the course. So they're called 12 core concepts and I'm doing a beta test at a church and people are a mixture of drugs and alcohol. Funny enough, some one guy came in and he's like, yeah, I don't have a an alcohol problem, but I surely have a marijuana problem. And in week two, he said, yeah, I think I do have an alcohol problem. Like that's the thing. That's the thing. Test yourself to see if it's a problem. Can you easily go a couple of weeks or a month without it? If you find yourself not easily being able to go, it's just the beginning of the process. And it can take a long time. I drank for 40 years. Yeah, 40 years. So it's just, it's not an overnight flip. Although God can do a supernatural thing. For me, I've always had to engage the heart of God, engage actual resources and participate in areas of weakness or struggle or trauma where I needed freedom from that, needed to break out of the victim label. So of the 12 that you have developed in addition to the 12-week study, which ones do you think are more important? Can you rank them or are they just as important? It's hard to rank them. I can go through a few. I think they're all necessary. And here's a funny thing. I told you I went through a 90-day program. And so my original thing was to do a 90-day devotional, but God like literally stopped my inspiration after 84 days. And I go, well, I guess it's 12 weeks. Well, then I went to a Christian conference and everybody's like, well, 12, that's cool. That's really a biblical number. (laughs) It's like, oh, wait a minute, it is. But I can't see pulling out any one of those and saying they're not. Um, important. So let me just go through a few. One is temptation. So what does temptation look like? And we go through the story of Adam and Eve, and we talk about what Satan's strategy is when he wants to pull you away from truth. Eve knew the truth of not eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the serpent came up to her and questioned her. And with great confidence, she goes, no, this is what God told me. Surely you won't die, right? So this is a form of gaslighting, (laughs) making you doubt what to be true. And that's what temptation looks like. Surely just one won't hurt. Surely if I engage, nobody will know. Surely I can do it one time without consequence. And it's developing 
superpower awareness of the strategy of the enemy and temptation. Another one, I ask people in the devotional to do the Lord's Prayer every day. But then I have a whole core concept on the meaning of every single verse and why it's so important, like acknowledging who he is, how big he is, what your relationship to him is, what acknowledging that he knows the end game, asking for forgiveness every day. What a gift to remember to ask for forgiveness every day. Remember, reminding yourself that we need to forgive others every day, right? Reminding that ourselves that there will be temptation and to ask God to help us move us out of that. So this deeper understanding of the Lord's Prayer and why it's beneficial in this walk. Another one would be the, the greatest commandments. And it's to love the your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbors as yourself. So we start with the loving God, and then we have to transition. I, I, I have people understand that their limitation to loving others is based on how much we love ourselves. If we are big judges of ourselves, chances are we're judging other people pretty harshly, too. And that to be the case, that was my story. I had a really bad racket going on in my head and I created a racket for everybody else too. And when you love God the way he wants us to and you understand the depth of his love and you understand how to forgive yourself, you give grace, God's grace to others. It's that whole triangle. So you can see they're all over the place. And And it doesn't matter what order you go in, whether you're doing it in week six, one or 12, those principles are really important ones to stay in the course. Definitely some of that rock that you stand on to build your life on, the truth of all of those examples you were just talking about, that really will bring in clarity and then give value and truth and love, um, yeah, that's a win, win, win all the way around. I have a private Facebook group for people who purchase the devotional. And I posted this morning something about, like, in reflection, I think it's almost a gift to understand what being addicted to a substance is or behavior. Because when you climb out of it using God's word, you just understand how much truth is in, is embedded in what he's told us. I ultimately look at that as a gift. And oh, and something else you said, oh my gosh, there's so, so much truth. He uses everything, like every gift and talent I had and every moment of suffering has culminated to this moment where I get to really bring light to other people through his word, like everything, nothing was wasted. No, I have found that to be true in my life as well. He has wasted not one ounce of my pain, not one tear I've shed, nor the way he's equipped me through skills. He's pulled it, pulled it all together through this. And now at this particular time in my life with a podcast, something else he's developing in my life, it's very, it's quite an adventure with him. And you just need faith and courage and love. And he will take you places you never imagined you'd go. Do you think that for what I found is the deepening of my faith creates courage in me because I was filled with fear and fear and love cannot exist in the same place. And only to experience that love and understanding you hear his voice, his discernment and his will for you. And when you that, you don't have to fear what other people think because he's got your back. And I just, I just love that. Even if I stumble, he's there. I'm doing this for him. He's, it's going to make it right somehow, some way, someday. Amen. I am more content 
I am more content in my life because of what he did for me during the loss of my husband, Mm. that recovery period or that grieving period. And I'm not saying the grieving period is over and it's been a little over five, five and a half years, but it has certainly gotten so much better. I fear nothing. I remember when COVID came around and I thought, well, no big deal here. Either he takes me home on COVID or I'm still here after COVID and he's got some plan for my life. So there's a contentment there. And courage where I'm not afraid. Let life come at me however it's going to come at me. He showed me who he was when I needed him the most. And I have to admit that I would not have learned what I learned about him in any other context. I thought I had intimacy with God. I thought, and I did, and I thought that I knew God's heart. But when I went through that valley and what I found out and just the being with him. I did nothing. I wasn't reading the Bible, wasn't praying for myself or praying for other people. I was having an ongoing conversation with the Lord and I would play worship music, but I did nothing to check off the Christian list where you're a good Christian so that God will show you favor. I did none Mm -hmm. of that. And he showed me more favor and more presence than I have ever experienced in my walk with him. And that's why I stand on a rock today that is unwavering. I know the gates of hell will not prevail. When God brings my life to an end, it will be because he brought my life to an end. It's not going to be on a virus. I mean, okay, that might be the vehicle in which I exit here in, but it is still done by God's grace that he bring me home. And not that this comes easily for a lot of people, but I'm definitely in the same place. And I had given, there was so much fear during COVID. That's when I quit drinking. And I was in fear of dying, mainly by COVID, right? I don't want to die on a ventilator in a hospital by myself. I had my parameters. <laughs> I agree. I agree. But after I had quit drinking and I had peace, I really had to share with my children because they're so worried about me. I had bad lungs from, and I said, I just want you to know if anything ever happens to me, I'm good. I understand you're going to mourn, but you need to understand I am confident about where I'm going. And that is so such a relief to people. Mm-hmm. It takes a while to get there, but the more you can get into, I hate to wish suffering on anyone, but you're right, is those deep, dark places where, where, where I was I was in the word because I was just trying to figure out what, where he wanted me to be. But the, those are the places where I just got so close to him. When you start to face your fears, then you do meet God in a deeper place of intimacy. And if you just will sit with him and process with him, that's when we get the beauty of, of him revealing his heart to us. And I, that's not a- having to take control. And I think when we're victims to something, we can slide into this, like, nobody's going to hurt me again. I am going to take control of that situation. And we start controlling everything so people won't hurt us. And such a dangerous place to be because, one, people don't like to be controlled. (laughs) (laughs) That's my trigger. And God's in charge. And when you can give it to him, he just kind of, he keeps you on the right track. He does. I have found that control is an illusion. There is no control other than us being able to choose our own responses with the things we say and the way that we conduct ourselves. But if we can settle our heart on the fact that God is trustworthy and he's in control, that's just a place of peace that surpasses human understanding. Absolutely. 100%. So it makes me think of this from personal experience that when God wants to move us into deeper intimacy with him or mature us in a certain way, he'll begin to bring something up over and over. He's subtle about it. He's not in my face about it, but it's causing me some problems. And he's indicating that he'd like to have my attention. But my typical response is making excuses and sidestepping him. I'm thinking to myself, to myself, there's people out there that God's saying, hey, babe, I'd really like to have your attention on this right here. I'd really like to heal you in this area. If you'll bring that alcoholism to me, the thing that's coming to the surface, I'd like to heal what's behind that. So when God's coming to you and saying, hey, Roseanne, I'd really like to talk to you about this. What did you find most difficult to submit to him? I don't think it was a submission issue. I think for me, it was... 
wanting to know what God's plan was, knowing that this was in the way of it. But for me, it was a big part of it was accountability and community. The fact is, if you look at your checkbook, you'll be able to see what your priority is. And my priority was definitely of spending a lot of money on alcohol. So a lot of people are worried about redirecting that to something different. When I was doing coaching, I, I had a really reasonable price and I have no sympathy. If you're not willing, I'm like, this is less than you are paying for alcohol. And so you're not serious enough if you can't redirect it. <laughs> then what it is, staying the course, which is why the 12 core concepts, which is why the devotional, staying the course, becoming connected with God, understanding his wisdom and his goals for you. I mean, that's what, I guess it is a, a point of submission when you go, okay, God, what's your will for me? How does your word work here? I'm looking forward to the plan you have for me. So it is a form of submission. It just came in a little bit of a different fashion. For many, I, a lot of people buy the devotional. You can just see it in the Amazon reviews. They buy the devotional and say, oh my gosh, thank you. This changed my life. But then there's, just like there's graduated problems, there's graduated ways to solve the problem, right? Others is in a community with a group. Others is private coaching. Others are rehab. There's a, a whole spectrum. And what I would want people to understand is it doesn't matter how many times you've tried. Please don't say, which I hear a lot, like there's no help for me. Oh, yes, there is. There absolutely is. There is another side to this. And I understand your brain is telling you there isn't, but give it a go. Take the challenge. It seems like any addiction, food, shopping, overspending, whatever it is, there's a trauma behind that. What does trauma and alcohol have to do with each other or trauma and addiction? Yeah, they kind of go hand in hand because it's really our inability to deal with the pain of what we're, we're experiencing. And so we go to something, a behavior that gives us a dopamine hit or has a neurotransmitter hit. And we go, oh my gosh, that feels good. I, I escaped the pain. But of course, then what happens is, wait, this is an escape, this is an escape, this is an escape. And you're using a behavior or a substance, and even call it processed sugar, to manage the problem. <laughs> there's counseling and there's coaching. And what I have found is both are beneficial. When I see people, it's like, make sure if you, the amount of people that come to me molested is kind of overwhelming off the charts. But make sure that you're dealing with past and how you can have healthier coping mechanisms. Plus, they just go hand in hand because for alcohol, you take the alcohol away, you've got to feel the pain that you're trying to avoid. So you need coping mechanisms for that. Some people are able to do it with the devotional or the, the coaching. Some people need maybe like I, I needed, I had CPTSD. So I needed EMDR to deal with my brain. I was just reacting when I, I couldn't stop myself. I was shaking, crying. I just could not operate. <laughs> For me, I had to deal with that first. Some people deal simultaneously. So That sounds like a very big deterrent to people out of addiction, being that they have to face what they're actually trying to hide from or run from. And they don't want to go back there because they feel like if they start crying, they'll never stop. Or if they have to face that, they've got to go back to where they do not want to go. Here's here's the good news. I have a little bit of good news. <laughs> I have a lot of good news, actually. But here's one of the things that I found out about me. I used to think I was a super angry person. And, and in some sense, I was because I felt like I was being poked a lot. 
and not loved the way I wanted to be loved. But when I took away the substance, my anger went away. And this isn't the case for a lot of people, but I just noticed that my ability to deal with problems became so much easier because I'm clear-headed. I'm not reactionary. My body isn't in detox. That creates uh, anger and frustration a lot faster. So I can just go, yep, there's the problem. Instead of, I mean, reactionary. It was crazy, crazy reactionary. So getting rid of the substance is a big motivator to being able to handle your problems much better, much better. And your program gives people new coping mechanisms because they say when it comes to replacing one thing or trying to get rid of something, a habit, you have to replace it with something else. What I ask people to replace it with, because they're looking for some kind of escape or something that gives them joy But the funniest thing is God created each of us with a gift, right? And so I encourage people to go back to their childhood or wherever they need to go and think about what they dreamed about doing and don't put a cap on that. If you want to go back to school, go back to school. If you've always wanted to flower arrange, take a course. If you want to go on a bowling league, a lot of people go, what this substance stole from me. And I'm like, but we're going to find the joy that our creator gave us to have the real joy. Because if you just take away something, you have a romantic relationship that's toxic, you're going to go, oh, I just want to go back. But if you have to give up something that creates real joy, one of my clients always wanted to be a pilot (laughs) and he He ended up getting flying flight lessons. He loved it so much. He knew that if he started his drinking habits again, that would take away that joy. One one woman always wanted to be a real estate agent. And I'm like, well, what's stopping you? And she literally went to school and got her real estate agent's license. It's just redirecting something to like, what have I always wanted to do? somebody's refinishing furniture to me if it's been on your mind for a long time that is your god-given talent (laughs) and even in addition to that i will tell people if they haven't found their purpose yet in life to go back and consider or look at the areas where they feel least qualified or they've been told they're not qualified in they're not any good at it because i feel like satan knows exactly what their giftings are Mm -hmm. and he is going to snuff it out and kill it before it ever comes to your knowledge of the fact that this is where you really will reign in that area. So I like to have people think back to when they were a child and what they like to do and what they like to play with, or I wanted to be this, like you're saying, or I I was never good enough. I think Walt Disney was told he wasn't creative at one point. And Oprah Winfrey was told that she was too emotional and she got fired from her first TV job. If this is your gift, Be fearless and use it because God will use you. We're all equipped to bring him glory and our, for our good. You said a minute ago, something about losing things, giving up things. So what did you, or who uh, did you lose when you started drinking? I lost my whole identity, a combination of everything that was going on in my marriage and family life, and then using alcohol to cope with it by the by the time uh, my marriage collapsed, I didn't even know who I was anymore. And I feel like getting kind of the help I needed plus taking away a substance. I'm like this girl that I was 20 years old and just happy and looking at the big, what's possible, God? I didn't know God then. I didn't know God till 32. But just this sense of joy, waking up and going, what's next, God? What's next, God? I, it's such a fun way to live. I want everybody to know that that's possible. So when you stopped drinking, who and what did you lose? Shame, guilt. Amen. 
depression. I I had lost my will to live for a moment. And now, like I said, I wake up every happy. It's kind of hard to do the opposite. I can say what I gained, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I don't even feel like the same human being. Honestly, I'm not wow. the same human being. And and this is pretty typical. People do not understand. Talk about the lies of this world. What substances steal from you? Uh, my oldest son, ever since I've been doing this, I have four children. I wasn't the perfect role model for them. My hus- husband and I, then husband, we drank a lot. We partied a lot. And, and our kids, they think that's normal too. But they see what I'm doing. They see the transformation. So they've developed, and I don't judge them, but they are developing an awareness. And my oldest son has fancy watch or something like that. And he told me once, he goes, Mom, I notice even if I have one or two beers, my sleep is disrupted. Um, Exactly. Like when all... All these young people, they just want to get ahead and do well and do this and do that. I'm like, you want to do that? Take away the substances because you'll be far and above everyone else. That's what I tell my sons. If you want to start from a place where you're already ahead of the group, get rid of any substance or anything that distracts you from Mm -hmm. your family and from your business. Yeah, because you just have more hours in the day. You have more clarity in your thinking. One of the things when I worked in the secular program, we had a lot of high-performing people, but one of the biggest things that was noticeable is if people were on commissions. And, oh my gosh, they would just start making like 30% more money. I go, well, how do you, like, why? Well, I have more time in the day. I can think about it. I don't deal with clients anymore that won't go anywhere. It's just great. And for people wanting to go up the corporate ladder, (laughs) let me tell you how to do it. Don't drink with everybody else. Be the one that says, no, thank you. Set a water cranberry and lime. And speaking of that too, I remember a season where I had decided to not drink, but my husband and I, we kept our social schedule. So that didn't change. I got to be honest with you, I did not realize the difference in attitudes about alcohol. Some parties I went to, I declined and it was no big deal. Nothing more was said. But there were other parties where either they kept trying to give me alcohol and then make comments about me not drinking as if they were going to push me to drink. But I'm like, we're not in high school anymore, people. And there were other parties where they would only give me the water in a red Solo cup. They would take the water bottle and pour it into the Red Solo cup, and I would drink from the Red Solo cup like everyone else had. We're, we're all adults, and I, I just thought that was strange. Are these types of attitudes about alcohol typical? I think you nailed it. It, it depends what crowd you're in, and so I ask people to develop some kind of awareness about that. If somebody only wants to be with you because you're a drinking buddy, is that the kind of friend you want? versus other friends, they'll drink with you present and not care. Or maybe you empower them to choose no alcohol too. That's what I love. Because in social situations, if you're being shamed into drinking, chances are it's somebody who likes to drink heavily themselves. And so they don't want you to recognize. I don't, I think this is subconscious too because I could see my own self in there oh come on but you if you're drinking extensively you do not want somebody who's not to witness what you're doing and and I think that's the difference I have compassion on them I will hang out with them as long as they want to hang out with me but if they don't then I understand where that relationship is but it is a eye-opening experience. I love to point people to the to the other experience where people don't even notice that you're choosing no alcohol, which is super cool. Or when you don't choose it, it gives other people license to not choose it because they don't want to drink either. 
there's all kinds of really cool benefits and that's talk about light, right? Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Something that you and I talked about in the pre-show to this, you spoke of the trifecta of the three people you were mad at. Can you tell tell us what you mean by that? Oh, my trifecta of darkness is what I call it. Yeah. I didn't know if I, well, I, this is at the collapse of my divorce. I didn't know if I was madder at God for not answering my prayers for my marriage. My my ex-husband for the way he treated me or the fact that he literally went off to somebody else before we had signed divorce papers. Like, how is that possible after 29 years? Or myself for staying in a marriage that ultimately became hopeless to save. So, yeah, that was a big, dark time in my life. And that's where I really had lost my will to live. I was using alcohol to cope with all the sadness. But that's also where I came up with Jeremiah Life First, Jeremiah 29, 11. The plans I have for you declares the Lord plans to prosper you, not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And I could not see that at that time, but I believed it. I walked in faith. And I said, okay, I'm just going to keep putting one foot in front of the other and believe that you have a plan, despite my absolute inability to see it, despite the fact that I am so angry with you. And that's where I loved reading the Psalms because David cried out to God so much. He wasn't always happy with it. He loved God, but he wasn't always happy with his situation. And that, that kept me grounded. So as you're, I say pursuing God, because you're still in connection with him, you're still in conversation with him, you're mad, but you're still getting in Psalms and his word. So one step at a time, one day at a time, what is something that God spoke into your spirit that gave you strength for the next day, that gave you that hope to hang in there? I always felt like when I was in his word, he would speak to me. There's this power of, of his word that always speaks to you something different every time you look at it. So I looked forward to my time and his word every day. And I'd have to say that when you feel like you're connecting with him and he's speaking to you in the way that he speaks to you, you just keep going in trust and faith. And just think about it. faith and humility in God's value system. They are so powerful. Mm -hmm. The world sees it as so weak, but with him, you get the beauty of who God is, his power, his strength. But it also makes me think of shame and guilt. Those are two powerful tools that Satan uses to keep us separated from the truth and, and our personal relationship with God. What's some good news about finding forgiveness once and for all with regard to guilt and shame? When we find forgiveness, does that rid us of guilt and shame? Oh, yeah. So this is cool. My pastor here in Scottsdale, he did this amazing sermon in Second Corinthians. And Paul is talking about godly guilt and worldly guilt. And my pastor explained that god godly guilt is when you realize that you have done something wrong and you repent and you turn around and you receive forgiveness for that. Worldly guilt is not saying you've done something wrong, but you are wrong. Like that's shame. Worldly guilt is shame. So shame is this feeling that there's something wrong with you. Guilt is this feeling that you've done something wrong. And just having that understanding that shame comes from the enemy. Guilt, we all live in it. That's why I say the Lord's Prayer every day. <laughs> and I ask for forgiveness. And I have to think about how I deviated on a daily basis. So, yeah. Take responsibility. That is like this superpower, if you will. I mean, God's the superpower, but we we drink from that, from that living water when we 
position ourselves in that way. I love the distinction you just made between we are this or we can receive forgiveness and walk in freedom. So that's going to be a powerful breakthrough for people today. What is something that the alcohol companies don't tell you? That it's really, what is it? Rocket fuel that's going in your body to create alcohol. (laughs) That your liver processes it as poison. They're telling you that it it gets the girl or the guy. It makes you cool. It reminds me, I'm old enough to remember the cigarette ads and I got caught in that too, right? The Marlboro Man was cool, Virginia Slims, and your doctor recommends Camel Light. So... Back then, there's a lot of media attention until people start dying. And since COVID, I'll tell you, the numbers are going up drastically with people dying from alcohol. It's one of the leading causes of preventable death in the country. And I don't know why it wouldn't be in the world. Yeah. Really? Yeah. That's sad. Mm hmm. What is alcohol cessation and how does one need to prepare or do you prepare? Yeah, I'm actually working on my next book. That's the name of it, Prepare to Quit. (laughs) You can actually go to my website, www.theplanshehasforme.com, and you can sign up for it. You'll know when it's going to be released. But yeah, it's, it's this whole thing we're talking about, awareness and not getting the shame out of the mix, trying to find the truth. What happens in the first drink, the second drink, the third drink, how do I behave? What did this steal from me? What's going on with my health? What's possible? Instead of just living it every day and being on autopilot, getting that that conscious state to look at what's happening in the subconscious operating system. It's pretty much you're preparing for battle. Preparing for the battle physically, mentally, spiritually, all the above. All of the above, yeah. That's pretty scary. It is and it isn't. As you mentioned, people are addicted to sugar, to food, to cell phones, to pornography, to everybody has something. And so I don't want to say that this is the hardest thing in the world. There's a lot of hard things that people are struggling with. And I want to approach this compassionately. There's nothing more wrong with you. You just got caught in the lie, like all of us do. And this lie can be a hard road. And But if you stop it, it can be a great road. I would think that the the victory stories are quite compelling and also encouraging. Uh-huh. I follow a couple of s- profiles on the social media simply because I love to celebrate with people who are able to remain free of that sort of addiction. And so I celebrate with them. I don't even know them. I have no clue who they are, but congratulations, put a heart on it, that kind of stuff. So Absolutely. And that's what I used to tell myself, of course, this is a lie of the enemy too, that I wasn't an evangelist. <laughs> and now I get to see all these people talk about how their lives were changed and transformed and they found God and like, yeah, well, talk about a lie. One thing I can't do is lead people to Christ. Well, guess what? Massive lie. I think, too, we put a certain look to an evangelist or a certain look to a an author. That was something that the Lord had to bring to me. But God's still doing it in a different way that, than we thought or we expected, anticipated. Well, we can be an evangelist by just focusing on our children, right, and raising family, godly children. I kind of missed the mark there myself as I was busy with alcohol and I'm, I'm working on undoing it just through example and relationship. I'm grateful I have that opportunity. Um, Amen. Because God is a God of second chances and third chances. However much ability we have or desire that we have to come back and try again, he is ready to set us free at any time. If there's a disconnect in this process where people are having to come back again and again, what do you think it is? Can you pinpoint what the disconnect is? I think the again and again is one, you've got to find the right fit, maybe community for yourself. Don't beat yourself up. It is possible. There's a ladder of help. Like I said, you can do it yourself. The devotional only, there's community, there's programs at churches come into Facebook and join me. I'm in there all the time trying to help people. 
And I always tell them not to get discouraged because sometimes it just takes so many times. But that's why the awareness is so good because you identify the lie. What did I do? I just said, oh, this will solve for my stress. Did it solve for your stress? No, it just created everything worse. And it's like, okay, you learned something. So I developed, and this is a good acronym for no matter what you're struggling with, and I call it LIE. L-I-E. Look, intercept, explore. So it's look at the story you're telling yourself and identify its false nature, right? To intercept that thought with a vision of your future self, the one God created you to be. And again, see, this works for everything. (laughs) And explore alternative activities and thoughts until the craving goes away. And then you get so good at what that means. Like, let's just say I'm going to the refrigerator and I just go, lie, (laughs) lie, I'm not hungry. I don't need that. Look, intercept, explore. Short, sweet, to the point. I have a free resource on my website there, too. There's just so much on my website. Just go through it, www.theplanshehasforme.com. You can get the devotional. You can look over the self-study program. There's tons of free resources. There's flashcards to use for when you're in social situations and you don't want to drink. There's 20 different things that you could respond to. So, I love that you're equipping people in that way for them to to think in the immediate moment. Uh, so that's extremely helpful. Well, it looks like we're running out of time and I am not happy about that because you've <laughs> been a wealth of information and I so appreciate that. But if there is there anything that I haven't asked you about that you want people to know? One of the coolest things that happened when I did this devotional was unexpected. And that was the fact that people who care about somebody else who may be struggling, this can be a gift. It's not the same conversation because people are really like, what do I do? I don't want to tell them they're an alcoholic. I don't want to tell them they have to go to AA because all those programs say you, you, there's something wrong with you. You need to do this forever. But In general, we know when somebody's struggling, maybe they're going to do dry January, maybe they're going to do Lent, quit drinking. That's the first indication that somebody's looking for a methodology to control. Hey, why don't you take a 12-week challenge? The author of this book is really successful, what I mean. And I have gotten so many comments about people who gave it as gifts, and it's been life-changing. So it's just... I love it. I love that because it's no stigma. It's take a challenge. And then the person has to say, oh my gosh, I took the challenge. I feel so much better. I'm done. Right. Think about what, the gravity and the hugeness of that gift. Mm, I know. I mean, it shows up in the form of a book and maybe a 12 week commitment, but the actual gift, the transformation, the freedom, the clarity, the life, the future. Yeah. Yeah. And it just is an easier conversation to have than, honey, I think you're an alcoholic and you need to go to a program. (laughs) Let's just start with this. It's really uncomfortable for the person on the other side to put a label on that person because you have just, for lack of a better word, damned them to an eternity of a label. And, and so what I'm saying is you don't have to use that term. You can say, honey, that you're struggling, try this 12 week challenge. Nice. Nice. There are three terms that you do not use. What are they in your practice? Recovery and sober. I don't use alcoholic because we just talked about it. It's, it's a label and people seem to be damned to eternity for it. (laughs) I used to smoke Three packs of cigarettes a day, and I wasn't a cigarette-aholic, a smoke-aholic, and I'm not in recovery. I just quit because it was killing me. So I don't use that, yeah, that recovery term because, again, if you're trying to not stigmatize somebody, something, why do you have to say you're in recovery for 30 years? I'm still in recovery. No, you've recovered enough. That you have a choice. You can choose this direction or that direction. You're just choosing 
a great direction. So, and then sober is a good word. I love sober-minded in, in scripture. However, I'm trying to develop a narrative that doesn't use stigma. And when people just choose not to drink, they just say, no, thank you. I don't drink or I don't want to drink. They don't say, no, thank you. I'm sober. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I'm just trying to wipe away all that that unhealthy languaging. Well, yeah, because the Lord doesn't label us other than his child. Mm-hmm. So that's the freedom of being his child. That's the only label we really want. Last question, my friend. If our listeners only remember one thing, what is the one thing that you want them to walk away from this conversation with? I promise God has a better plan when you put this to the side. Mm. There's very few promises in this world, <laughs> but that's a promise I can make with, that God has a better plan for you when you can put this to the side. All you got to do is participate and see what's possible. Mm. Well, you're living proof of that. Your clients are living proof of that. So mm-hmm. all of the contact information will be in the show notes. And Roseanne, thank you so much for being here today. I deeply appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. I loved our conversation too. Thank you for your time and for sharing this experience with my guest. I hope you have found encouragement for today and a deeper revelation of God's heart in the midst of pain and suffering. We'd love to have you as a subscriber to Finding God in Our Pain so that you can be connected with all my guests as they share their personal experiences and professional knowledge about pain and suffering. And because this podcast is a division of the website, A Life of Thrive, for more information and the various ways you can connect with us, please visit the website, alifeofthrive.com. I look forward to sharing more transparent stories from the hearts of women who intimately know what it means to have their world flipped upside down, their authentic struggle to make sense of it, and what recovery and healing looks like. Till then, sweet woman, remember you are not alone and that God speaks the most beautiful things in the dark.